0: Coming up today on Guts, Grit, and Great Business.
1: Yeah, it is tough. I mean, I to think, do I really want to sit down and talk to my kids about all this? Well, probably not. But it was so important to me because I thought, okay, now I'm on the other side of 55. And if something happens, I want to make sure they're prepared. Or if something happens to their dad and I, well, we were traveling or even just driving together. You know, how many times have we heard about a car accident where both parents were killed or where, you know, both were unable to make their own medical decisions. So I just wanted them to have a game plan. You know, I wanted them to have that roadmap. And that's become my mission is talk to your families about it. It's not easy. It's, but it was probably the most powerfully rewarding conversation we had as family.
0: The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce Campbell.
2: Alrighty, welcome. I am so excited to have you back here with me again today. I am Heather Pierce Campbell, the Legal Website Warrior. I'm an attorney and legal coach based in Seattle, Washington and serving information entrepreneurs around the world. I am so looking forward to this conversation today with my friend Maureen curious. And Maureen, how long have we known each other now? It's been a couple years. I think close to five. Close to five, yes. So we were introduced through, I believe, a mutual connection here. We're both in the Seattle area. And I was a fan of Maureen from the start. She is just somebody who is lovely to know. She is She's a helper, she's a connector, she has such a huge heart for people and I really, really, really love your work, Maureen. So I'm so excited that we get to talk about it today. If you do not know Maureen, Maureen Curis is the CEO and founder of RadiantMorning.com. She is on a mission to guide 1 million families to decide, document, and discuss their final chapter plans to bring peace for those who live on. As an oncology, hospice, and ICU nurse for 35 years, she was privileged to provide end of life care for many. She saw the devastation that occurred when families hadn't had candid conversation with their family members now she facilitates those conversations with families around the world and leads virtual group workshops to replace drama trauma and chaos with calm ease and peace marine so you're you're still on the east side right tell me where you're at right now yeah Bellevue yep. you- Bellevue. So she's my neighbor just across the water. She is a lovely mother to three amazing sons. I love seeing your social media posts about your boys all grown up. I have I Nestor in the fall. My two <laughs> oldest are finally fly in the coop. <laughs> Oh, that is just so wild. Well, congrats. It looks like you've really done an amazing job. Um, so, Maureen, I mean, you have this amazing background, right? You, and I know we talked about this when we first met, your background in oncology, hospice, and as an ICU nurse. Tell me, share with us a little bit about what led you into that line of work.
1: Well, fate led me, led me into that line of work, Heather. You know, I graduated from nursing school. And there were no jobs for nurses. It was I was in California, and in the early eighties, nineteen like eighty four, the jobs had dried up. They had been giving five thousand dollars sign on bonuses the semester before I graduated, and ours they gave us a pat on the back and said, "Well, good luck." And I got my first job in an oncology on an mm. oncology unit, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, who wants to work there?" You yeah. know. I don't want to work with dying people. That was scary to me. You know, my family, we didn't talk about death and we didn't talk about any of that stuff. Even when my grandfather died, you know, it was just crying sad, but we didn't talk about it. So I thought, Mm. well, I can get my experience and get out of here as fast as I can. So one year was my my goal. But um, what I didn't know is that I would fall in love with the patients. I would fall in love with the families and I would fall in love with the journey they were on. And it wasn't always easy, but I found out that I, I liked being there. I liked going on that journey with them. And so it's sort of been interwoven the rest of my nursing career.
2: Yeah. Well, it does. I really feel like it does take a very special, capable kind of person to do that work, especially with any longevity. And in, you know, in our family at a fairly young age, it was my, actually my first year of law school, my mom was diagnosed with glioblastoma. And so she ended up passing away um, the, actually the second month of my second year of law school. But that whole year, you know, we had our trials with um her health and going through a surgery and then dealing with end-of-life issues. And, you know, at the very end we had hospice in place and we had nursing care, you know, coming into the home and helping with that transition. And I, I just remember being so profoundly touched by what a special place people who do that work fill for those of us that need it. It's a tremendous amount of support and it just there's, you know, there's there's no replacement for that level of support and care when you need it at the most precious times.
1: You know, I am a raving fan of hospice, so I'm so glad mm. your mom had hospice. Mm-hmm. Not everyone does. And you know, they hear hospice and they think death. That's what happened with my dad. My mom heard hospice and she thought death and she would have no part of it. And so he was on hospice for three days. Didn't matter that I'd been a hospice nurse. It didn't matter that I had done all that. But, you know, it is such a gift um, to the families and to the the person that's dying. Mm -hmm. It's about quality of life versus quantity. But to live with quality at the end is so important.
2: Well, and I think to be escorted through that process by somebody who has experience with it that has a level of comfort and I'm, I'm not saying that it ever gets comfortable but that has a level of knowledge and expertise and comfort with just knowing the process I think brings a lot of calm to families who are maybe facing that for the first time.
1: You know, you're saying that, and it takes me back um, to I was filling in for a shift, and I walked into someone's house to check, and the family had no idea that their family member was actively dying, mm. that um, I ended up staying for hours with them because they they were oblivious to the fact. I don't know how they didn't know. They weren't prepared well enough, yeah. but... Um, I was so grateful to be there with them that day and I stayed until their, their family member died. And it was such an honor and a privilege to be there with them, but to be able to escort them when they had no idea what, that it was coming so soon. Yeah. So it's, it's a challenging time. I mean, that was challenging for me that day. If I ever get used to, um, someone dying and Mm. feel like no emotion around it, that's a sad day for me because there's always emotion at this time.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, and even I'm sure even in oncology, you know, where some people probably make it through that phase, okay, and others don't. It's like a, you know, precursor to hospice. Um, You know, we have a separate ICU experience here as well in our family because my daughter ended up in the NICU after Being right, so we had the NICU nurses there all helping with her early days of life. But yeah, each of each of those times is just such a, a precious and strained time. It's you know, it's it's tremendously rewarding to see people like you in that line of work where you know I know people are getting the care and the support that they need.
1: Well, You know, I think that as you mentioned that your daughter was in ICU or people look at this last year that we've had, Heather. Mm. I mean, this last year with, I think the real like heroes are those nurses and caregivers from everyone, from the person Mm -hmm. mopping the floor to um, the nurses and ancillary staff caring for these people that ended up in the ICU that never knew they would be there and were unable to have the family members at their bedsides. That's what just crushed me. You know, Uh. that's so important to have that support of those you love with you and to not be able to have it. So this has been a devastating year and I'm so hoping that we're, we truly have turned the corner and um, people are at least allowed to be in for short periods of time with their family. But um, those, those nurses are just heroes in my book.
2: Oh, I agree. I, you know, it, it changes your perspectives on, Career choices, on um, the level of pressure and stress that goes along with jobs who are not afforded the pay that should accompany that level of pressure and stress. I mean, even think of a janitorial service or something in the midst of the pandemic, the nature of their work completely changed. Like, I can't even imagine the level of fear and trepidation that it took just to gear up and, you know, go do your your quote unquote regular work in the context of this whole new paradigm? Oh, you know, I mentioned
1: um, people don't realize it takes every person in the hospital from the person that has to clean that room every day to the person that delivers the meals to um, everyone, uh, you, the secretary. But Early on, there was uh, an interview of a man that had, they didn't think he was going to live through COVID. He was on a ventilator. And this is, I always know, I've seen it so many times where people hear, whether they're mm-hmm. alert or not, whether they're in full coma, they still hear. And each day, this woman went into his room to mop and clean, and she would talk to him mm-hmm. not to give up. And that that she was praying for him. And I get teary just thinking about it. But he said Mm -hmm. um, he wanted to meet her because that was the voice he heard every day when his family couldn't Mm. be there. And that woman pulled him through. And I just think, you know, each one. Now, like I said, I get all teary. But uh, those those are the unsung heroes. Yes,
2: well, it's true. And, you know, whether it's in the midst of the pandemic or not, you know, even regular normal medical crises, and I've had several of those in my life. There was a time um, before I had had my son, it was actually following my second miscarriage and um, my body just wouldn't miscarriage. It was actually called a missed miscarriage, and I had to go in for a procedure where they you know, removed the fetal tissue and all of that, but we had requested testing after that procedure, and normally, insurance won't cover it unless you've actually had three miscarriages in a row. I wasn't interested in waiting for the third, and so I, we had requested testing and said we would pay for it out of pocket and all of that, And I had this doctor look at me and say, well, because I asked, like, remember, this goes off to testing, like, literally, I'm going under, like, I could feel myself getting sleepy, and she says, well, we'll try. Sometimes the kits end up at the wrong place, like, and I, I must have just had this look of shock and bewilderment, like, this is the last thing I'm being told before I'm being put under, and the anesthesiologist looked at me, he was there, and he could see what was happening, he goes, no don't worry, I will take care of this. Don't Uh, worry, like, don't worry, I will make sure this happens. And I, and that was the last thing I was told right before I literally going under and even that moment of panic, and then recovery, like, I just thought, Oh, my gosh, so grateful for the people who care about doing it right, you know, and similar but related, another time I had to go under. Again, always very scary to have to go under anesthesia. And I had a nurse look me in the face and say, don't worry, we are going to take such great care of you, right? And it was another scary procedure. And I just, like, you come out of those episodes just feeling like, what would I have done without that person there, you know, like holding my hand and just telling me it's going to be okay. Because your family's not in the room, nobody's with you, you're in this kind of weird, scary place. And you're right that I mean, we have so many unsung heroes right now, from the janitors to the administrative staff that have to still show up and be in the hospital and be behind desks. And, you know, there's so many folks whose lives have been just tremendously impacted by this. And I too hope we're rounding the corner. And it's, um, I feel grateful that I don't think we have the same level of panic and fear that existed, you know, at this time a year ago. But the potential for very real consequences is still the same, you know, it's, and that's the part that's weird is I think people are kind of acclimating to the stress level and acclimating to the fact that this will continue, no doubt. And um, it's, you know, that's kind of a weird new normal as well. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about how, you know, you come with this amazing background. You are obviously now channeling all of this experience into uh, a mission. It really feels like a mission, right? Um, To get people talking about end-of-life care and taking the right steps to do the right things. How did you you come to this point of really getting into end-of-life care and, and planning and conversation facilitation?
1: I've for 30 years, I've been an mm-hmm. advocate of getting your um, power of attorney documents in order mm-hmm. for healthcare. care. Uh, I've seen too often people that didn't have that and they had no one that could legally speak for them. And there was a woman that I took care of. Um, this was when I really became an outspoken advocate. Everyone I knew, I made sure they, they had powers of attorney for healthcare, documentation done. She was sixty two, had been playing tennis with her um, tennis group in the morning. Took her eighty five year old mother to a doctor's appointment and then lunch. Driving home, slumped over the wheel of her car, ha- and had a massive heart attack. And her mother had pulled her from the car, did CPR as she had seen it on TV. But this was in the you know early '90s. Not everyone had a cell phone in their hand, and by the time she got to us, she was on a ventilator. She had four kids, no husband, um, and she was on a ventilator, heavily sedated. But after three days, she they, she wasn't waking up when they took her off sedation, and what they found was that she was brain dead they had to tell the family that this healthy robust 62-year-old mother and daughter of was brain dead and she was not going to wake up it was just a devastating day but that's when the fighting started in that family because if you don't your next of kin if they're your children all children have to agree on what's done mm-hmm. and i don't think people realize that that if they don't all agree then your wishes won't be honored. If you did not want to be on life support, if you were brain dead, they, and if one of them wants to keep you on you're kept on life support Wow, on the ventilator. And that's what happened to this woman. Two of her kids wanted to take her off the ventilator and just let her die peacefully. And two of them pretty much were accusing their siblings of trying to murder their mother, kill her. And it just became this war zone. And back then, She was with us for six and a half weeks on a ventilator. And we, you know, she until her heart just finally gave out, but they had to do CPR on someone that was brain dead. Mm. And it was so awful. Today, they would have, you know, this day, they would transfer her to a rehab facility or something, but that, back then, she was still in the ICU with us, and we were all devastated. And I said, I will never let that happen to anyone I know and mm. love. I made, mean, you know, my family, anyone over 18, you have to get your powers of attorney documentation done. And mm. so that's really been so important to me. But a couple of years ago, it was through a chance conversation with someone that led me down this path I kept resisting mm. I don't want to do this but uh, <laughs> it wasn't until a woman walked up to me at church and wanted to talk to me after and I'm Catholic and it was ma- can I talk to you after mass and um so when we met up with each other she said Maureen I've been praying and every time I pray God tells me to talk to you and I was thinking what is this all about <laughs> you know I'm thinking okay well she said um I'm so afraid my kids won't honor my end-of-life wishes and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm like, why are you talking to me about this? And she's like, because God keeps telling me to. And I said, do you know that I'm a nurse um, and that I've worked mostly in end-of-life fields? No, I had no idea you were a nurse. And uh, I said, because we were really just acquainted. Just smile and um, you know, so after that conversation, you know, we talked about some ways to handle it. Driving home, I thought, "Oh my God, was I just hit upside the head with the T?" Before you know, so that's when I thought, "Okay, I've really got to start looking into this." Mm-hmm. And it really is my mission just to have people talk about it. You know, I've also been um, someone's healthcare agent, which is. The power of attorney are documents, as you know, but um, a lot of people think they're called powers of attorney. But um, I was someone's healthcare agent, and I didn't know. They never told me, and we had never talked about this until she had a medical crisis and couldn't make decisions on her own. And well, I wasn't the only one. She'd chosen two of us, a gentleman oh. that I know well, and we disagreed on what to do. And it was so challenging. That's why I'm passionate about people having these conversations so that everyone can be on the same page. But to have that legal person, that person that can legally speak on your behalf. So even if other people don't want you taken off life support and you wouldn't want to be in that position, that the person has the legal right to speak for you.
2: Yeah, well, it's. You know, it's just so unfortunate that we have to see the really, really sad, heavy stuff, right, in order to, I think sometimes just as human beings, be motivated to do what we should be doing. And it's, you know, we we are quite pain avoidant, yes. but I think so many of us just don't anticipate the various ways that things can go awry, right? It's just not what we spend time doing. And so... Oh. Yeah, it's, I think it's so important to have advocates like you talking about it, even though these stories are hard to hear, right? We hear these and we go, ah, I don't really want to think about that, you know, in my own scenario. If, who who really wants to think about dying, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah, it's, I don't.
1: I bet I do know that if it happens, I have everything written out now. Well, so in this great roadmap to my sons, like, mm-hmm. okay, if this happens, this is what I want you to do. We had had a big family meeting well before any of this was even a thought for me to do. And I told them all when they were leaving for school, they were all heading back to college. And I said, okay, when you're home at the holidays, I want a four hour block of your time. I told my husband too, we're all sitting down. And uh, I thought I'd get pushed back, but we had the best talk. They were like humoring me. I think that we talked about everything. I pulled out all of our estate planning documents, mm-hmm. all of our financial documents, and um, I did this great "Life Goes On" roadmap with Nancy Jetten. And I so I had all of that, you know, everything out. And I said, I want you to know from me what I would want if mm-hmm. this happens tomorrow, because my boys are all super close. And yeah. I said, I don't want your good relationship ruined because you disagree on what to do with me if something happens to me. Or if something happens to me and your dad, and you know, I don't want you to have to make that decision because I'll have already made it for myself and giving to deal with it.
2: Well, and the reality is we don't like to think about this stuff, but we are already in our lives making decisions just like this. So for example, if any of us own and drive an automobile, we probably have car insurance for that. If we own a home we probably have homeowner's insurance, right? We most certainly do if we have any loans <laughs> or yeah. mortgages related to that home. So we already are doing this in other ways in our lives. It's it's like insurance. It's like saying if this terrible thing happens, I know I've got myself covered and I'm protecting the relationships of those who I love that are left behind.
1: Yes. You know, how, how often, I know you've probably heard this, but just again, within the last six months, I've heard of a family that the siblings are suing their brother because he's the executor. And they feel like he's stealing from their estate. And I think the estate of their parents. And yeah. um, it was the brother that I, I met. And he's like, oh, gosh, I don't my siblings, I can't, no matter what documents I bring them, they feel as though I'm stealing from the estate. And I thought, how terrible is that? But if everyone gathers together, they talk it out, they know where everything is. You know, I just spelled it all out for my kids. Mm -hmm. And um, then they're all on the same page and they know that nothing's awry or amiss.
2: Well, and I think it's particularly important that the piece that you're saying that I find really valuable is that, you know, um, putting these documents in place for yourself and you being the one delivering the message to your kids, it's very different than trying to interpret a document on its face and on its own, right? Because I think there are a lot of scenarios like the one you're talking about where this one son is the executor and the siblings think like probably, if I were to guess, the parents didn't sit down and say, hey, this is how it's going to work. Right.
1: No, right? not. And that that left their children all very vulnerable. And the child that they chose as their executor, that left him in just a terrible spot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's mm -hmm. also fractured a family because of it. And that's like, I never want that to happen. Just like that. Right. It could have been so
2: different. Yeah. It could have been so different. And, you know, there are real life reasons why families get fractured. You know, when you look at personality disorders and all kinds of things that come up. I mean, you live in the medical world. And so these are no surprise to you. But there are real reasons why certain viewpoints are not reconcilable. And, you know, no rational person is going to make them reconcilable. That said, if you have a parent saying, here's what I want, delivering the same message with clarity to each of their, like, it drastically reduces the chances that things are left up in the air, misinterpreted, right? And so that's, you know, that piece seems really, really crucial, the piece about not only doing the documents, but then having the tough conversation. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't even have to be, you can make it fun. Right. And I'm saying tough, because I think a lot of a lot of people perceive it as tough, right? They perceive it as like, ooh, this conversation I don't want to have. Yeah, it is tough. I mean,
1: I to think, do I really want to sit down and talk to my kids about all this? Mm-hmm. Well, probably not. But I, it was so important to me because I thought, okay, now I'm on the other side of 55, and if something happens um, – I want to, I want to make sure they're prepared or if yeah. something happens to their dad and I, well, we were traveling or even right. just living together. You know, how many times have we heard about a car accident where both parents were killed or where, you know, both were unable to make their own medical decisions. Yes. So I just wanted them to have a game plan. You know, they, mm-hmm. I wanted them to have that roadmap and that's become my mission is Talk to your families about it. It's not easy. It's mm-hmm. but it was probably the most powerfully rewarding conversation we had as family. My sons all started thinking, "Well, wait, you know, we need we need to get our little finances in order, so you know how to deal with us." And mm-hmm. and my one son who played high school sports and had a couple of concussions, we found out that he wanted his brain donated to Boston University's. Their big concussion study. If he were to die, young, well, I would have never have known that. Right. Yeah. So these these conversations—they're hard, but they're so valuable. Mm-hmm. And then you go on and eat the cake, drink the beer, you know, whatever <laughs> that you celebrate. Have, uh, yeah, celebrate—it's <laughs> all over, and that you all know. But I think by bringing everyone together, it's one thing to talk one-on-one. Yeah but we tend to tell different people different things. Like I know um, handling my three sons personalities, I might say it in a different way where we're all in the same room. We can all hear it together and then have conversations around it.
2: And have the chance to ask questions. You know, if somebody hears it differently, they have the chance to talk it out right then in front of the other siblings. And I think that is very important.
1: Yes. Or if they don't agree.
2: Yeah. You don't,
1: I don't care if my sons agree with my decisions and this is what I, but I want them to be able to honor and respect them.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's what with families getting them to be open-minded enough that even if they don't agree that they, they will honor and respect Mm -hmm. their, their loved one's wish.
2: Right. It's huge. It's huge. Okay. Let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is both Pierce Law PLLC, home to my legal practice here in Seattle, Washington, as well as the legal website Warrior, an online business and brand dedicated to supporting the legal needs of information entrepreneurs. These include consultants, coaches, online experts and educators, speakers, authors, industry leaders, influencers, transformational leaders, community builders, podcasters, people in this space go by a variety of titles. But essentially, their businesses look alike. They are building businesses based around a body of work and information that they have created that gets delivered in a variety of ways, including generally through an online base, a home base in the online space. Thus, my branding, The Legal Website Warrior. I'm dedicated first and foremost to protecting online brands, helping them stay safe, helping them navigate the legal rules that exist and apply to um, the online world, as well as take care of and protect the offline portion of their businesses, as well. There's so much that these entrepreneurs do in the offline work in their business as well. And they're, regardless of what you call yourself, regardless of what your business is about, you do not get to the position of scaling and growing and creating the influence that you want in the world and becoming an industry leader without essential legal supports. So if you You are in the space of information entrepreneurs that I serve. I would invite you to reach out and connect with me. You are also welcome to check out a free resource that I have built. You can find it at LegalWebsiteWarrior.com forward slash legal boot camp. It is my free Legal Basics Bootcamp that I have prepared just for you so that you have the map. What I find, and let's be clear that the traditional legal model tremendously underserves a certain portion of the small business community, and that is why I've set about to create a set of resources, documentation, education, etc. that supports people in this space. My Legal Basics Bootcamp is going to walk you through a framework that I developed that helps you understand the roadmap for your legal needs. This way you can stop cherry picking your needs in the dark without the map and start making decisions that have legal ramifications for your business from the standpoint of being empowered, from the standpoint of understanding what your legal priorities are and being able to choose those intentionally and and knowing what they're going to do for you and your business. So connect with me at LegalWebsiteWarrior.com forward slash Legal Basics Bootcamp, where you can get my free resource. You can also find me online at PierceLawServices.com, which is just an online space holder for uh, Pierce Law PLLC, my legal practice based here in Washington State. Again, congrats on your journey. I'm honored to have intersected your path and be a small part of it through hosting this podcast. And if I can support you in any way, reach out. Okay, back to today's amazing guest. At what age do you think it's appropriate for people to start thinking about end-of-life care? Because I, I can imagine there's a lot of people kind of in this um, middle ground where they, they think they're not quite there yet, and right. they actually are. Right. You know, um, I say age 18, once you turn uh, <laughs>
1: legal adults, you need your own, maybe not a full estate plan, but mm-hmm. a power of attorney for healthcare, a power of attorney for finance. You know, if something happens, trying to close down a young per- person's apartment, let's just yeah. say, without having someone that can legally do that is tough. Um, so 18 is best age. My my boys are like, what? We need why are you making us sign these documents mom? But, um, and then really by the age of 50 at the very latest um, to start getting this in order. But when you, you know, there's so many different times in life to look at full estate planning. Yeah. When you start having a family, you know, guardianship for your children. Yes. That's huge, huge. You know, my, um, I was living in South Carolina and I was at the park with my two little boys, age one and two, and a, na- and a neighbor. And we ran into this woman whom I did not know. But when she left, my friend was telling me her kids are, I mean, her nieces and nephews, her sister and brother-in-law were killed in a traffic accident. Mm. No guardianship set up. And those kids became wards of the state and were put into foster care until it could be decided. Ugh. And because the families both wanted them, no one could agree on who took the kids. And mm-hmm. I went right home, started calling estate planning attorneys, and my husband came home from work and I said, we have an appointment on this Thursday and you better mm-hmm. be there. I don't care what, I don't care about anything except who's going to raise my kids if something like that yes. happens, our kids. So yeah. uh, people, so that's a long answer, but You know, I really think that when you start a family, that's another time, but by age 50, less than 50% of people 50 and older have any kind of end of life planning done. And when I talk of end of life planning, I'm talking about, you know, that healthcare power of attorney and the advanced directives, which is known as the living will, which spells out what to do. And that's what I am passionate about,
2: but I'm passionate about getting all of your estate planning in order, you know, for your family. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's um you know, and I, you and I have talked numerous times, and you know about my work and how I help entrepreneurs. But you know, one of the things is like if you're building a business, you're building a family. Like you sure as heck better make sure that you know whatever comes next for whoever's left is taken care of. And it's it, it it's challenging to think about, but the alternatives, and you know. <laughs> thinking of some recent stories here in the Seattle area, like, even when you said 50, I was surprised. I thought you would say earlier, I mean, and I know, obviously, 18 is ideal. And, um, you know, speaking from personal experience, my sister died really young in a car accident, she was 25. And, there's so much that you have to take care of that, you know, and, and these days from somebody's digital and online assets and all kinds of account. I mean, there's, there's just so much that simple documentation would help with, even if you don't go talk to an attorney and do all the things, right? If you are responsible enough to do some of the basics, it, it's hard to think about and it's so important to think about because this day and age, there really is so much to take care of when somebody passes.
1: There is so much. And um, it takes away from the ability to just grieve because yeah. we're going to grieve no matter what. Yeah. But to grieve with debilitating grief or or uh, prolonged grief because you're trying to deal with all of this stuff.
2: The right. Well, and even death, to- yes, it's huge. It's, it's huge. huge. And to wonder about really important things like, did they want something donated? Did they want to be a donor? Did they, wow. right? Simple things that if you'd had the conversation, of course, nobody expects to die in their 20s, yeah. right? And so people probably are not having these conversations until much later. But, you know, just thinking through that and having a simple plan and talking with your family about it and sharing that documentation, I think can just save so much heartache. There was a recent couple actually that was shared inside of um, the story was shared inside of one of my mom, like mom attorney groups, that's a Seattle area group. And just like you said, this couple that died, both parents died and left behind two or three children. One of her best girlfriends was also another attorney in this group who was suddenly scrambling trying to figure out how to obtain guardianship over these kids, how to, you know, help transition this this little family out of a complete disaster. And it's like, oh, your heart just breaks because I'm sure they were young and it sounds like the kids were very young and, you know, it's puts people in such a pinch, such a bind trying to go through this process.
1: It does. And, you know, it puts people in a bind. If something happens, you were just reminding me that if something happens, you know, to try to get legal guardianship of an adult, let's say, um, mm-hmm. it's hard, it's expensive Expensive. time that you're going through drama, trauma and chaos and grief and trying to figure it all out. You're trying then to scramble and get anyone to give you answers, you know, finding Mm -hmm. out where their bank is, where, you know, dealing with the IRS, trying to get anything to support you getting guardianship of them as a person so that mm-hmm. you can make their decisions legally and financially. It's something that people shouldn't have to go through. Yeah. You should be able to sit there and love on their family member that's going through this.
2: That's right. What? So let's talk a little bit about the scope of what you consider, you know, the phrase getting your affairs in order, right? We hear this. What, what's in that bucket? What do you consider getting your affairs in order to include or to be?
1: I think getting your affairs in order, first off, you know, like we were just talking about Mm -hmm. the powers of attorney documents, state planning documents, your living will. But it's more than that. It's your funeral planning. You know, plan. Mm -hmm. It costs money to die. And, you know, you have to pay to get a body out of the More, you know uh, so to have a funeral budget or Mm. funeral insurance things like that to get your financial affairs in order you don't have to have a lot of money but to just get them in order so that you can so that you don't leave a financial hardship for your family yeah the next thing is um you know saying what needs to be said you know, telling people how you feel about them, a lot of that mm. legacy, write letters. If you know you're dying, write letters to the people that mean a lot to you. Call them and tell them. Ask for forgiveness. There's so much in there. But I think so getting your affairs in order besides just the, the legal documentation, it's things like I said, burial, insurance, yeah. um, but taking care of any unresolved issues, mm. ask your affairs in order. Yes. Forgiving and asking for forgiveness. Those are huge at the end of life.
2: Mm. Well, and that's, yeah, that could be a whole separate conversation. Oh. I feel like that, you know, that's, I love that you widen the scope a bit because it reminds me there was another podcast guest I had on and I'd asked him what prompted, he's in the financial services industry. And I asked him what prompted his career, right? Why was he interested in financial services? And he said that he, I think he was in college at the time. And he his grandfather had passed, and he went to the cemetery to visit his gravestone, and there was no gravestone. Yeah, And this was like quite some time after the services. And he had asked his mom, like, "Mom, what's going on? Why is there no gravestone for grandpa?" and she and she had said he couldn't afford one." And he's like, well, why didn't it why didn't it we buy him one?" And she's like, I paid for the entire service and everything else. Right. And he, like he he said, it was literally in that moment where he, he decided he wanted to help people live better so that they could die better. Right. Right. I thought, isn't that interesting? He was a young kid and recognized that. People don't realize
1: that there's so much to dying. Yeah, And the more that we can plan, you know, we plan for everything. We plan for our weddings, we plan for our high school and college graduation, we plan for the annual holiday party, but we don't plan for the one thing that is certain to happen in our lives. You know, there's no getting around it. We're all going to die someday. We just, you don't even have to pay your taxes. You know, they say death and taxes, but we don't even have to pay our taxes. They'll catch up with us maybe, (laughs) but we don't actually have to pay them, but we will (laughs) die someday (laughs) that there's just no getting out of it. As someone said, we don't get out of this life alive, but uh, the more clear we can make that our wishes known, the more we Mm. can prepare um, and plan and plan out so that our families aren't stuck paying for our funerals. And, you know, here in the Seattle area, a, a basic cremation is a, a, between 1500 and $2,000, I think. But funerals mm-hmm. can be upwards of $50,000 uh, wow. for the whole thing at the most expensive funeral homes if you're having a full burial and all of that. But I don't think people realize that. And to, um, you know, my goal would be that never to never have another GoFundMe for funerals, but that won't happen. I know it won't, but um, people just don't realize.
2: Well, and I think that's the thing, unless they have been shown the details or had to walk through it with a the loss of a family member or a friend, right? They don't have the firsthand knowledge of knowing like, oh, this is how I should plan for this yes. um, without these types of conversations, right? And that's so interesting that you talk about the the surprising expense of a funeral because it's so much more than just that stone it's you know it can really be quite a sum of money um what what do you wish people who are are hesitant and i think this will take us to the other side of the conversation of like what's the benefit, right, of taking care of this? Because I think that that's what we all want to get to is, obviously the peace of mind. And I can only describe it in my life as peace of mind. We were sharing a little bit before I hit record about how it took me until I think my son was about two years for us to get our estate planning documents in place. And I'm an attorney, right? And I knew like I should have had those probably before we even went off to the hospital to have to have our baby boy. But once we got them done, whoo, it was just such a sigh of relief. Like, it, you know, the process wasn't fun. We paid the money. We got the documents done, but it was just invaluable once we had them. I could look at my hubby and be like, we did it. We did it. Yes, we may have to revisit these and update them and make sure we keep them current and all of that good stuff, but they're done and we can at least rest easy knowing nobody's going to be wondering, you know, what is your plan?
1: Yeah, it is, um, like you said, peace of mind. My goal is family unity at the end of life um, and that families aren't divided. And as you're saying that, I one of the families that I worked with, there were um, six boisterous uh, opinionated kids and we worked together because their mom was showing early signs of dementia and she wouldn't Mm. deal with it at all and and the woman that um, brought me in she said I want us all to know how to deal with this I want us to be on the same page well we had this great well a couple great meetings together but it was their dad that took it down here he'll die really unexpectedly and quickly. And I just heard not too long ago that because of them all hearing, pulling their dad in, hearing his, oh, if this ever happens to me, this is what I would want. I wouldn't want to be in the hospital. When they had taken Mm -hmm. him to the hospital, they wanted to do all of this treatment when, but they had all heard, I wouldn't want that if there's Mm -hmm. no hope for full recovery. And so he's actually at home on hospice now. And they're Mm -hmm. at home, you know, during a time of COVID, she said, we're so grateful that he's not in the hospital where we can't all they're a big, boisterous, loving family. And so they're all there and loving on him. And he's been with them through this journey rather Mm -hmm. than isolated in a hospital or dying in a hospital, which he did not want to do. So that is such the benefit of this. And being able to have that, you know, we're here with them. We're we're able to hold his hand. We're able to love on him. We thought it was going to be mom that we were dealing with. But um, to have that peace of mind that they know they're carrying out his wishes has been so huge for them.
2: Well, and that's just it. Peace of mind that you are carrying out your loved one's wishes, because you know, we might, like you pointed out, we might feel differently than they do about what we would actually want done, but that changes as soon as you know what they want done, right? But- if they're truly a loved one, you, you want to generally honor what they've said. And so to the extent that that's clear, that they've communicated it, it makes the decision-making so much easier. Like, what a burden to be removed from the shoulders of those six children, it, you know. It, it has been such a gift. And it's, you know, it's a gift that we do give our families, that mm-hmm. clear, concise directions. Oh, I love that as a, as, the, as a concept of the gift.
1: I have to tell you this real quick. I tell my clients that I work with, I want you to review this annually. Mm-hmm. You know, just make it your birthday present to yourself. And mm-hmm. sit down, just take an hour or two. You know, do I still have the proper people in place. Has there been anyone I wanted to add to the contact list or any mm. passwords that I need to change, whatever, you know, go through the whole thing. And, uh, but I was, I was talking to a woman, I was actually on another podcast and she's like, my parents have what they call their death plan or weekend. And they do it every year. They have their whole planner with all their estate planning where everything is. And they take a weekend away. And they go and they book a hotel room somewhere where they want to travel. They order in and have a bottle of wine and they drink their wine. They review it all on Friday night. And then they go and have a fabulous weekend at a destination that they wanted to visit. So they check something off their bucket list and they get their death planning weekend done. And I thought, isn't that great? You know, it's just a great way to do it.
2: I just thought, really? I right no it sounds amazing it actually gives me goosebumps because like just even that little vignette I feel like by doing that you're really allowed to live yeah right you are you yes. can full up you can like show up fully in your life knowing that you've taken care of those important details even just you know the next day on that very same weekend just the relief and the peace that you would have knowing that you have checked the box you've done the things yes. Yeah.
1: And that, um, and they make it fun. And I think that any good plan, it makes it mm-hmm. smooth. You know, if you plan your wedding and everything, you know, it's planned, you have or someone to take care of it, then you can go and thoroughly enjoy yourself. Yes. And that's like with life. If we have our plans done for end of life, then we can
2: thoroughly enjoy our life and, uh, and just celebrate. Mm, I love that. What, <laughs> In your experience, what are the best ways to open that conversation? Right, so I'm sure people can feel very differently even about having the conversation. How how do you coach people around inviting them into that conversation?
1: Well, I think um, we one of the gifts of COVID. I'm going to bring COVID back up because I, you know, we've all at this point a year plus in we've probably all known of someone. If we didn't know them personally, we know of someone that's died due to COVID. That's the perfect conversation starter. Oh my gosh. You know, um, my friend Kathy's daughter is in the hospital on a ventilator right Mm -hmm. now. And can I talk to you about what I would want or Mm -hmm. mom, my friend's mom just died of COVID. What? can I talk to you about what you would want so I could honor your wishes? I had to have that conversation with my mom. She was diagnosed with COVID and my mom, who doesn't like to talk about death or end of life. I'm her her, (sighs) her agent, but, um, and she would not talk a lot about what she, you know, I have it all in my estate planning, you know, um, the basics I'm like mom so I called her and I said okay we have to have that candid conversation now mom we can't mm-hmm. wait any longer because five hours from now you could not be breathing well <sighs> and I need to know what you want she's 84 super active and luckily sailed through it Good. but um, the other thing if if someone uncle joe you know gosh uncle joe died it made me think I want to do right by you what would you want if you were diagnosed with cancer like Uncle Joe? It's just yeah. as simple as that, but it's as hard as that, too. Yeah, It's simple and hard at the same time. Yeah. The other conversation that's important to have is the conversation with your physician mm. or physicians. Doctors don't like to talk about this any more than anyone else. And um, being married to a physician, I, I know this uh, to be true, <laughs> even though he <laughs> is pretty good at the end of life stuff. But you know, it's hard for them too. So to yeah. give them a clear roadmap yeah. that, Hey, when I get to this, if I get to this point, I don't want you to do life sustaining treatment for me. Right. I would want to be home. Um, my husband had to have a big lung surgery, uh, two years ago. Oh wow! And his day, his first day post-op, we were walking, you know, three times we walked through the hospital, uh, that floor that day and the first time there was an older gentleman and he my husband was in the ICU and he was on a ventilator with his family all crowded around him and I thought oh my gosh he's dying in the hospital on a mm. ventilator I because I don't know why the curtains weren't drawn but um and you know everyone's gathered around then after lunch we walked and everyone was out in the hall crying except for the wife and maybe a daughter um at his bedside crying mm. and the heart monitor was still going and then we walked after dinner and the room was empty all the machines were out and i just thought mm. no it shouldn't have been like that mm. no it should, should not have been like that that's what crushed me when i worked in the icu i thought they should be at home or at least in a setting where everyone can be there not hooked to machines not hooked to but some people choose that and that's okay yeah. But it's when we don't know and we haven't talked about it and that happens that it makes me so sad.
2: Oh, it is yeah. so sad. And it's that's that's the part If if it's not what they chose, it's yes. so sad. Right. But it's OK if they chose, choose
1: it. That's yeah. the that's the honoring, whether we agree or not, because there are many people that want everything tried.
2: That's right. That's right. Yeah. My my mother-in-law was such a fighter. She struggled with stage four breast cancer for like 20 years. She, you know, years and years and years of cancer support, and um, and even at the end, I was just amazed at how strong-willed she was, literally right up until it was like two or three days before she died. I think she just knew. I think it was a choice, and I think she, because we learned later that she had called friends and said, you know, I'm not going to see you again. I'm not going to talk to you again. I'm just calling to say goodbye, and they were like on a road trip or something, and um, but she wanted all the things done. She yeah. wanted all the support. She wanted to try, 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 right. try right up until the very end. Well, your mom was young. My, this was I mean, my, this was my, um, my husband's yeah, mother. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and she still was too young. She still, she still ended up passing away in her late sixties, right? Yes. But still, way too young. Way too um, young. Yeah, my best friend
1: died of cancer at age mm. forty. And she wanted everything done. She had two young kids, and she wanted everything done yeah. till the bitter end. She fought till the bitter end,
2: right? Um, and and if you know that, and you're a family member, I think it'll it you can bear those final moments in the hospital more easily than you could if you weren't sure that's how I, they wanted to go. Right.
1: Yeah, and we had had many conversations around it about quality of life versus quantity but she had an 11 and 14 year old and she's like I want I want to live I will do everything yeah for them yeah Um, it wasn't in the cards but you know then you have to honor that I had to honor and I wasn't in in the decision making process but as her friend you know I had to sit back and support her in that
2: yeah but that's
1: what it gives us so
2: it does. Yeah, that that piece, which is really, I think, the, the greatest thing we can take away from any of our actions in support of somebody's, you know, end of life experience is, are we at peace with knowing we did what we could to honor what they wanted, right? Yes. Well, Maureen, you know, there's so much more we could talk about on this topic. And I love it. It's it's hard. And it's so essential. And especially at a time like this, I mean, you're, you're talking to people, and I'm sure listeners are all going to relate to the fact that most of us either know somebody or multiple people directly that have passed away during this time of COVID, or have close loved ones or friends that have experienced that loss. And so it is a, it is a very, very pertinent, relevant conversation, COVID, or not and there are ways to have it that feel good and feel healthy and get you know get the job done and will get us to the other side feeling good about you know having completed that what can sometimes feel like a big thing on our list yeah and you know um it can be there should be humor around
1: around it let's face it let's make it humorous and fun so that it's not so hard to deal
2: with so well and easier to make it humorous and fun when you are in a state of mind to really you know have the flexibility to be thinking about it and not in a position of being forced to think about it yeah
1: and making decisions strictly on emotions right yeah, not table. Right. And, and that's the one thing I think that everyone should realize, even if it's unplanned, they're strictly on emotions, it's okay to take that step back and mm-hmm. take a deep breath and think, what would they have wanted? What would you know, sometimes you have to go on what would I want if I'm in their shoes? And yes. that's okay too. But to to not just make the rash decisions on pure emotion, to just step back and and take that deep breath and think, what would they have wanted if mm. they knew they would be here.
2: Yeah, no, I love that. Well, I'm so I'm such a fan of who you are as a person. I love this area of work, because, you know, our family has experienced tragedy. And we have, you know, been through the kind of tragedy where we had time to plan and the kind where we don't have time to plan. And it's just so important that people think about this stuff for folks that are wondering, you know, how do they connect with Maureen? How do they find out more about your services? Because you help people in a variety of ways with their end of life planning and care and coaching conversations, you know, families around how to have conversations about this topic. Where do you like for people to find you online?
1: Well, I, um, if you go to startthetalknow.com, you can download my free giveaway to Speaking of Dying, uh. Death, Seven Prompts to get the conversation started. Um, and my website is RadiantMorning, morning spelled with a U, uh, mm-hmm. .com. And, you know, one of the things I do every month, besides put on workshops, but I do do a free advanced care planning webinar just to... Uh, And it's usually the first Thursday of every month. So it's always listed on my website. And it just is an overview of what it is and why it's important Mm -hmm. and how to approach it.
2: Oh, I love that. And for listeners, be sure to check out Maureen's links. I will have them all in the show notes. So you can find them at legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Look for Maureen's episode. Maureen, what final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with? get it
1: done get it done mm-hmm. have some fun around it uh get your end of life planning done and it's not scary once you really start the process yeah. sometimes the hardest thing is writing your name on the document yes. and then you can take off from there so uh, you'll have a lot of peace of mind once, once it's done
2: well and that is the truth maureen reminded me right before we went live of something that i had told her and then forgotten about which is i had a near-death experience as part of my ivf journey and literally, like going out the door, I apparently had two thoughts. One was like, my paperwork is done. I don't have to worry about that. It was all in a file. My husband knew where it was, like we were good to go. And two, you know, I was really determined I wasn't going anywhere. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking if I did, it's done. And it was very, I mean, so much peace of mind just knowing like, well, we're off to the hospital, see see how this goes, but I don't have to worry about that piece. And that would be a terrible feeling as a mom, not having had that taken care of. Even when I thought I really wasn't going anywhere, I knew something terrible was happening. I was losing all my blood into my abdomen. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, it was it was dramatic, to say the least. But um, the peace of mind is really real and extremely pertinent in those moments of crisis, which inevitably at some point happened to all of us. So, Maureen, thank you. Always a pleasure to see you. This is such a valuable conversation. And I really am grateful for you to be here sharing this with me and my listeners.
1: Well, thank you, Heather. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I always enjoy my time with you.
2: Awesome. If you're still listening, check out the show notes, legalwebsitewarrior.com forward slash podcast. Appreciate you. Take good care, and we will talk to you next time. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit, and Great Business podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at legalwebsitewarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world, and we'll see you next week.